Hey, welcome back to Gospel Rant. This is Dr. Bill Sinyard, and we're looking through the Book of Romans and, and unpacking microaggressors that are all through it. Romans is not a comfortable book. I mean, if you read it really with clear eyes, you just become more and more humiliated or realize just how dependent upon God we really are. And that's probably a really good place to be. But the series is about microaggressors in the book of Romans. We could, we should be regularly dumbfounded and, uh, yeah, like I said, humiliated. All right, we're going to look at Romans chapter 2, verse 29. Paul writes, No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. All right. So remember, you probably already know this, that the idea that uh, uh, the God required circumcision for the Jew uh, to be recognized as being part of, of, of God's people. Uh, but but Paul is saying it wasn't just that, right? Circumcision isn't what made you a Jew. What made you a Jew is your relationship with God and God being uh, dwelling in the midst of your of your tribe, of your people, and you being in relationship with God. Circumcision was just an outward sign. And so Paul is building on that saying, you know, circumcision didn't make you a son of God, uh, uh, right? It just didn't. All right, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the importance of being circumcised by the Spirit. Uh, this is, has to do with your salvation, conversion, your being born again. In today's lingo, we call it being baptized to the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, but there's lots of confusion. And secondly, the emphasis of much of evangelical and Protestant uh, worship today is not focused on the ongoing work of God in our hearts. Him daily, having to give us his love for others, otherwise nothing is going to happen. His love for others, making us love him, others, and, and even ourself. Right? This is very important for we in the shamed generation. Uh, the focus is in, in evangelical Protestant, and even Catholic worship today is, is on us doing good things by our own effort, choosing to do good things in hopes that if we do enough, God will like us more. He'll bless us. He'll make our lives easier. He won't punish us. He'll keep us from getting COVID. But the latter is a lot more like paganism than Christianity. And again, this is a microaggressor. I'm not saying I like it. It just is. So modern Christianity is typically about what we do on our own. Maybe with God's help, right? We pray, God help me, which looks like, I've got to imagine from heaven's point of view, God, I got this Christian walk thing down 78% today. I've gotten better. I was 75. I think I'm up to 78%. If you wouldn't mind just topping off my righteousness and I'll be really good. Well, that's absurd. So Paul's model here and in other letters is clear. First, our salvation. Okay, God didn't just wait around for us to be convinced by someone with reasonable four steps or bridges or anything else that led us to rationally and reasonably choose to investigate God and buy in, right? And then God sees us enter his chambers. We're not his enemies anymore. We're a little bit cleaner rich, uh, ritually and and gives us a choice. So do you want this or not? And we accept it because it's the reasonable thing to do. And then he touches us because uh, how would God touch or associate us with us before that, right? Because God avoids sin. We would have to be somehow cleaner, ritually cleaner on the scale before he would touch us, right? Move towards us and hug us, right? 
Well, Paul's model, his version, his theology is much more of a microaggressor, really. God pursues unclean, unmotivated sinners, his enemies, us, long before we dared to imagine looking up, long before we were convinced in any way. And as I've said before, the standard model, which is immersed in secular humanism, is that our brains are largely reasonable and rational. All they need is a good story that answers 90% of our questions, right? Is there a God? All right, I'm convinced. What about heaven or hell? Well, good. Thank you. That was a problem before. Now I get it. What about other religions? What about uh, other sexual identities? Okay, I got it. Makes sense. And then when those questions are answered enough, to my prefrontal cortex's satisfaction by well-designed apologetics. I think to myself, because I'm reasonable and rational, right? I have free will. It would be to my advantage to side up with God, right? It makes sense. Heaven sounds so much better than, than hell. But we now know our brains are much more complicated and look more like chaos theory than, than algebra. So nothing has hurt us more than bad relationships and uh, right? We have lies and deceits, and we're all, to one degree or another, sufferers of PTSD relationally. We are. It's a scale, zero to ten. Childhood, lack of attunement, mommy and daddy issues unresolved, lack of sense of enoughness, or lack of disconnectedness and loneliness and isolation, and fears of all of those. And in an area of our brain largely untouched by our so-called reasonable prefrontal cortex, we have tons of layered and carefully constructed barriers and safeguards and, and boundaries and protective wires that are the, the, the design is to protect me from more pain. That's what my brain is designed to do. And that part of my brain has huge chemicals at its, at its use to, uh, to safeguard the wall, right? Serotonin, dopamine, cortisol, and so forth. So when God appears to my awareness, a God who is, come on, let's face it, humanly speaking, a screaming perfectionist who is a wild card from a human perspective, and remember how many humans he ordered killed in the Bible, who is way beyond my ability to know and figure out, and whose ways are higher than my ways. So forget the prefrontal cortex going, I've got this one. Who lets his son suffer and die on a nasty dehumanizing cross. And my midbrain isn't running to sign up, it's running the other direction. So it's much better to understand my salvation in a different, much more humiliating way. It does not portray me in a good light. It's a microaggressor. When God began this spirit baptism process or event, I was not pursuing God. Nada. He pursued me. Otherwise, nothing would ever happen. There's too, many, too much neural inertia the other direction. I was his enemy. When he found me, the Bible says so, not a rehabilitating enemy. I was lost and the exact opposite of wanting to be found. Look, let's face it, for many of us, status quo wasn't good, but, you know, the devil you know, right? So, God pursued me when I was unclean, from his point of view. And he tackled me when I was unclean, from his point of view, against the fears of my midbrain for even reasonable relationships, much less this one that is frightening, this relationship with God is frightening. I mean, if you think about it, uh, right? And, and that's from far off or even close. And remember the warnings. You don't even dare to look into the face of God, right? This is scary stuff. Then his spirit baptizes me, right? Don't think water, it's dry cleaning. Don't think spiritual gifts are fruit at this point. Uh, this is a different happening. 
strategically, God begins to intentionally alter my head. Right? Humiliating. He rewires my beat-up, traumatized midbrain so that it is not fighting against the union as much. In fact, the Spirit rewires my brain so I actually want to be embraced by God a little. Makes my, he makes my fears uh, get beat up or tossed away. It's his perfect love that does that, that casts out my fears, James 4.1, a little. And he makes me emphasize, note this, makes me feel loved as I am. And somebody's got to, right? Because I can't just choose to do that. I don't have that muscle group. So he makes me feel loved as I am. Wow. And makes me feel love for him in return. That's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. A little. Well, do you get the repeated verbs makes? That's uh, not American. I just don't like that. It's, it's a huge microaggressor. Am I implying that he goes against my free will? <laughs> All right. Let's tackle that one. First, remember the scenario, your will, your reason, and for simplicity, let's locate it largely in your prefrontal cortex. Right? We've been told for years and years of enlightenment thinking and secular humanism that your will is clearly free, unaffected, untraumatized, it's reasonable, it's rational. Right? As a matter of fact, we're told it's the only true reasonable thing about you, and you're told that as early as the first grade and second grade and third grade, or at least it's in the curriculum. It must be that way, right? But it's not. There is nothing free in a traumatized will. Ask counselors. And the traumatization begins in the third trimester of pregnancy, long before you had anything to say about it. So your one-year-old midbrain, your two-year-old midbrain, three and four and five-year-old midbrain is already burdened with protective measures that just aren't up for discussion. It's not free. It has, and by the way, your midbrain has chemicals. Your prefrontal cortex doesn't. Matter of fact, one of the chemicals, cortisol, what, what it does first is it shuts down your prefrontal cortex. So not only is it not free, it's turned off. <laughs> and then adolescence happens. And then dating. <laughs> I mean, enough said. Uh, what happens to your beat up free will? So this midbrain area is where we struggle with fears of relationship and lack of enoughness and being lonely and disconnected. It's where shame happens. We, By the way, we've just launched an online interactive experiential journey, so cool, to help real Christians begin to apply the power of the gospel, the spirit baptism, to their midbrain. And we're calling it The Dance. So check it out, www.the-dance.org www.the-dance.org. And the name comes from the 4th century Greek church fathers who imagined the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, as being in a joyful, eternal dance-around. In the Greek, peri-around, choresis dance, a dance-around. So think of a circle dance. No trauma, no fears of relationship, no sense of not being enough ever, right, within that. And then shockingly, the circle opens and the Son and Spirit reach out and grab people like you and me, and add us to that dance as we are, right? As we are. Well, what did you think? Were you, that you were sitting on folding chairs around the dance hall just waiting for an invite? I mean, like this was the junior prom or something? No. When they reached out and brought you close, you likely were not <laughs> emotionally prepared for that, 
and you probably didn't think that was a good thing. You were likely, at least in your midbrain, fighting, fighting and screaming, or maybe you were made silent in fear, right? Hypoarousal, until the Spirit baptized you, all right? Whatever that means, it includes something that begins to physically rewire your brain, those deeply dug neural dark pathways, so that the shame and fear cycles were disempowered for a moment. Otherwise, you would never have ever chosen to be comfortable in the dance, much less uh, be comfortable in the dance now. So, now, I get it. As you tell the story, looking back, you can say that you came to faith and you believed and you were saved and all those things are true. It's just the order is kind of funky, right? The truth is that you were pursued and grabbed when you weren't ready and, and you were unclean and you were added to this eternal dance long before you were ever, ever comfortable or clean. I mean, it really is mysterious and loaded with microaggressor upon microaggressor. I mean, how do we get involved in this dance around with all of our uncleanness and we don't make the dance around unclean? But it doesn't. It's, they make us clean. But this is what the pursuing love of God biblically looks like. I mean, here's a, here's a brief example. Remember the Abram story in Genesis 12. God ordered a regular guy, Abram, with, with some wealth, I mean, lots of flocks and family, to just pack up and move and to, and to go where he would tell them. Right? I mean, this is, I bet Abram's midbrain was popping. God is, from a human perspective, right, with all respect, is a wild card. Right, And that in no way takes away from his holiness. I'm just saying that his ways are much, much, much higher than my way and often troubling. All right, so back to Romans microaggressors. From a modern humanist point of view, I don't like how it sounds. It makes me feel so humiliated. It sounds so un-American, like I didn't have anything to do with it or very little to do with it, that it happened to me, that in some ways it makes me feel like a victim. But it turned out really well, right? Uh, So the spirit baptizing me was actually finding a victim uh, who couldn't say yes, who wouldn't say yes, and then making me feel whole again. And then I'm looking back going, oh, yeah, I'm for this, right? Well, that was our salvation. But this secular humanism has bled into our ongoing Christian walk, our sanctification. It sounds something like this. Okay, now that I'm in, I need to work hard to stay in God's good graces and favor. And truth told, I guess I'm on probation and my hope of future experience with God and his favor and that he likes me is dependent upon me doing something, renewing my mind, right? A verse that's regularly tossed out, but man, it's really not clear what that means. But if you listen to preachers today, it includes everything but the spirit. <laughs> I mean, Really? I don't know of a, a verse that has been more used as a secular humanistic bat in Christianity today than, than, the, than the verse on renewing our spirits. <clears throat> but it generally includes things like meditating, that's what you do, reading the Bible, what you do, studying theology, what you do. Things that look, by the way, more like the day-to-day schedule of the Pharisees than Jesus. And, and, and then you lean into, humanly speaking, loving God, right? Whatever muscle group that is, and loving others more. Forgetting that our midbrain and that nasty critical voice is still in our heads, pulling on those traumatic wounds still, putting up walls that my prefrontal cortex can't see or touch and doesn't have the chemicals. 
So uh, look, check out the dance. That's why we created it to walk through this minefield. We want to help you walk through all of this stuff in a shame-free path. www.the-dance.org. All right, enough promotion. So to modern, secular, humanistic, influenced Christian leaders, Christianity is generally about what we children now do really apart from God. It feels deistic, meaning God has given us principles. He's left. He's going to come back and see how he, how he did with them. And the idea is to, uh, if, we, if we do good things, then we prove that his choice of picking us was sound, so good on him. And we earn his favor. We earn his liking. We earn rewards like crowns and stuff. Uh, either now or in heaven. But I got to tell you, that sounds more like orphans than sons and daughters, right? But what if the spirit baptism happens once and yet must be experienced over and over by faith daily? What if that is what the Christian walk is all about? What if that's what renewing my mind is all about? Listen to Paul from Galatians, a different letter, Galatians 3.1. You foolish Galatians. Talk about microaggressors. Who's bewitched you? Uh, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. <laughs> he, I, he sounds frustrated to me. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, right, by doing good things, clean things, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, right, Spirit baptism, are you now trying to attain your goal, underline your goal, by human effort, right? Orphans. Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Galatians 3, 1 to 4. All right. So I want to go back to attain your goal. Uh, verse 3, 3. If we don't know what our goal is, how will we ever get there, right? It's a basic business principle. So what is our goal? Don't even begin to tell me the bumper sticker that your goal is to become more like Jesus, which, by the way, the Bible never commands. Check it out. No. Your goal and my goal ultimately is to feel more loved by God, Father, Son, and Spirit, as I am right now. Paul will just lean into this in, in, in chapter 5 of Romans and chapter 8 of Romans. Your goal is to actually feel that God likes you as you are, um, right? It's the opposite of shame. And that requires a miracle of the Spirit because you don't have a muscle group for that. And it's a re-experience of our once-for-all-time Spirit baptism, Right? So it's all there, I'm in, but I don't feel it, and that's the ongoing miracle of the Spirit that we participate in through asking. I'll, I'll come back to that. But follow me here. I don't expect or count on that, right, being loved as I am from any other relationship, right? The as I am part. Really, that's absurd. No relationship here works that way. And the beast voice in my brain constantly reminds me that I fall short all the time. By the way, in the dance, we actually give you a trial where you can uh, bring the beast before the court of God. It's so much fun. All right, back back to the to the microaggressors. How often do I fall short related to the standards of a perfectionistic God? And that's the beast tells me that twenty four seven, right? So no less than the theologian John Calvin said that if the Holy Spirit in our inner being, right, the baptism, that's where he is, Galatians, uh, Ephesians three fourteen to 21, must make us feel the love of God, Father and Son and Spirit, for us as we are today and tomorrow. It's his wheelhouse. It's his secret workings, Calvin says. And he does. That's his passion. And Jesus purchased it, but we often don't feel it because of our messed up brains and brain chemicals, Right. 
our part is this. We specifically ask that the Spirit would make us feel loved right now. So check out this simple, uncluttered gospel again. Jesus followers, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God absolutely loves you. He does love you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? See, that's what we want. Simple. Good news, there is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Look, uh, play that over and over in your head. We have bookmarks that you can put it on walls and, and in bathrooms, so you can just keep saying it twice a day. Uh, you can check it out on the gospel-app website or the the-dance.org website, or you can just contact us, billsenior to gmail.com. All right. See, I have told multiple pastors of flagging churches where millennials are fleeing for the hills to stop doing the typical application section, that thing, uh, that dated thing at the end of sermons. Too often, it's just riddled in, in secular humanism and deism. Uh, you know, here are the three things we need to do this week in order to fulfill what the, what the Bible said, something like that. It's, it's about what you need to do this week to be a good Christian, to be obedient, to implicitly be worthy of God's choice and pleasure, to get rid of a little of the shame that you're not up to par, right? But it doesn't work. It's paganism. And it looks more like those who persecuted Jesus than those who followed him. Instead, get down off the pedestal, pastors, and ask how that message hit people. Let the Spirit do his thing. The Spirit loves your people so much more than you do, and he, he actually can rewire their brains to make them feel loved. You can't. You've been working on the prefrontal cortex. Good on you, uh, but you're not going to work on the midbrain very much. And so Calvin taught that uh, we've got to let the Spirit do his thing. And the Spirit is committed to make each of those people you're talking to feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of God for them as they are, whether or not they do the right thing, right? You know, the application section that I'm asking you not to do. Uh, and so God loves them whether or not they remain thieves or addicts or angry or gossips or adulterers. He just does. Jesus paid for that. Remember the simple uncluttered gospel? The baptism of the Spirit, one time, and the ongoing power accessed by the Spirit, the ongoing experience of the baptism is the only thing that can make beat up, ashamed, lonely, not enough people to feel loved, right? Big deal. And to begin to love others, another big deal. And if they start to feel love for others, they will begin to treat them lovingly, meaning less sin, which is, that's what you wanted anyway, right? And if they begin to feel love for God, they're going to worship more. They're going to read the Bible more. Isn't that what you want to accomplish? The two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. But it's by the power of the Spirit not by your ability, pastor, to convince them. And by the way, shaming them. Let's call it what it is. All right. This one had to be a microaggressor for many of you because it was for me. It makes me feel humiliated and feel so, so needy of God doing anything in me 
before I will actually feel like he likes me or feel like for other people. <laughs> so look, if you struggle with this stuff, check out the www.the-dance.org. It's under two hours, and you may begin to shut up that critical beast voice in your head just a little bit, and then begin to feel the love of Christ for you as you are just a little bit. Experience a little bit more of the spiritual baptism. Very cool? All right. Take heart, child of God. We'll see you next time with the Gospel Rants. If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.